Thank you for listening to this message from Tree of Life Church. Our prayer is that it will be a blessing to you and that you will find it helpful for life. So open up your heart to receive God's word for you. Amen. Summer's a great time, a lot of opportunities to get involved. I want to encourage you guys. I know, yeah, vacations, we, we, we'd love for you to take a, a break, get out of town maybe with your family, whatever that looks like for you. Take, take a vacation, but don't take a vacation from God. <laughs> Amen. So make sure you stay connected. And, and if you get a chance, make sure you're, when you're here, you come to church and fellowship and enjoy the services and continue to grow in the things of God. But uh, we're praying for you and your family. This will be a safe, fun summer. Make memories, uh, be refreshed, uh, stay connected with the Lord. Uh, we need to do that. Amen. I tell you, we need to make sure we are staying connected. I, don't, I just, a few remarks, of course, uh, you know, unless, if you don't know what, what happened this week, then God bless you, could you tell me your secret? <laughs> I don't know, TV, social media, it's everywhere, but our Supreme uh, Court decided to uh, legalize uh, same-sex marriage for all 50 states here in the United States of America, and obviously we're disappointed in that. We don't agree with that based on our stance in the word. Nothing against individuals. It's not a, uh, we don't put faces on that. It's just we don't believe that's the appropriate decision because it's contrary to the word of God, amen, which we believe is the final authority. We believe that we're not any smarter, less smart than anybody else, but we, we believe the word. We're smart enough to believe the word, amen, and no matter what people try and legislate, it doesn't change God's word to be truth, amen. And so just uh, so you know, here at Tree of Life, we believe in the word of God that says that marriage is to be between a man and a woman, that is sacred and holy. So I don't, I, don't mean that, I don't mean that to come out against anybody. I mean it to make a stand for truth. And so the word is our final authority and man can interpret and legislate all they want, but it does not change the fact of what God has established. And sometimes it, it, it it's interesting to me how man feels like they can change something the creator created. Um, and, and really they can't, no matter what they call it or whatever they say. And it's interesting to me, just a, a few more thoughts on my part. Um, you know, in this, I've, I've, I've been interested in some of the things that people are, are putting on uh, Facebook a little bit. I, I see a lot of love and out there in prayer, and I see a lot of kind of just harshness. And can I say that don't lose your Christian witness because you don't agree with the decision. Can I say that as your pastor? Okay. I, I firmly stand on the belief of God's plan and purpose for marriage and how he created it. But I also realize that I want to share Jesus and the love of Christ for everybody, especially those who are lost and deceived in this world. And we don't want to lose our opportunity to be a witness for Jesus. And so as, a, as an individual and as a church, so I'll just be very careful with that. Um, all the more reason why we need to do our job. Amen. All the more reason why we need to invest in marriages and our, our marriages and our churches need to be healthy and strong. And can I just say, sadly, it's not necessarily the case. And so, but our uh, man and, and woman uh, marriages and our, and our churches especially need to be the example. We need to be the thing that everybody wants. And so sometimes those things will not be issues if we're living the life God intended and we're walking in the joy and the peace and, and working on our marriage and be the representation of that because people are watching. And so um, I also want to say this, uh, in, in thinking about this, we're, everything we do in life, we want to get in line with the word. Amen not man's opinion, but in line with the word. Anything outside of the word of God does not have the blessing of God on it. That's just truth. I mean, I don't care what it is. It doesn't have to be same-sex marriage. Anything you want to say, if it's outside of the word of God, doesn't have God's blessing on it. No matter what the motivation, the heart, it does not matter. Things outside of the word of God don't, do not have the blessing of God. 
things in line with the Word of God have the blessing of God. And that is our goal in life is for all of us to get our life in line with the Word of God and help others do that as well in love and in truth. Um, so I think that one of the things that I'll see, and I'll, this will be my last comment, I, 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 that won't be, I'm, I'm sorry. <laughs> I'll, I'll, yeah, anyway, so, okay. Um, but I'm gonna get to my message in just a moment. Um, here's what I think, and, and just my thoughts on, on this too, is um, you know, a marriage is a sacred thing as God established between a man and woman, and therefore it is a covenant, amen? It is a covenant entered into not just with the man and woman, but with God, right? So anything outside of the description of the man-woman marriage does not have the covenant associated with it, and therefore does not have the blessings and benefit that the covenant brings. And so I just want to, I wanted to say that, and so not against anybody, but we're for something. And so we're for the truth of God's word and his plan and purpose, but we want everyone to come to the knowledge of Christ and to find the truth and to look beyond the deception and find, you know, as God really intended, because that's where the real blessings are. And so I just needed to say that to you guys so you know where we stand, where I stand as a pastor, where your staff stands, where this church stands. We love and wanna share the love of Jesus with everybody. We don't have to be accepting of, of lifestyles or condoning those things, but we love the people and we understand that it's the people we're trying to reach and share the love of Jesus with, amen. So we got a big mission here, but we're ready for it, amen. God's been preparing us to continue to be a light in this dark world, amen. So, amen. All right, so I should feel like I should get a plug for Married for Life. Married for Life, you need to go and get involved in Married for Life. There you go, okay. So uh, go ahead and turn your Bibles to Philippians 4 for me. We're jumping into the final installment, week number four of our series on joy, which basically is the study of the book of Philippians. I love this book. It's one of my favorites. In fact, chapter four today could possibly be my favorite chapter in the, in the Bible. And you'll see why as we look at some things throughout this chapter. You'll find some familiar verses that we quote. Maybe you didn't know that that's where they came from. But nonetheless, I love how the Apostle Paul brings all this around to conclusion in the Philippians book. How he's uh, using uh, the scripture here to help us all understand not only the power and purpose of joy, but the how-tos, how to walk in it. And I think it's really practical, especially here in chapter four. And if there's ever a time for us to walk in the joy of the Lord, we all would agree it would be now. And in fact, I think one of the things that would make the church, if you will, attractive to this world, let's just go to say individuals, families, marriages, attractive to this world is to understand this powerful principle of joy as God intended. And that joy is based in the foundation of Christ and who he is. And so it's not based on the circumstances. And sometimes we get happiness and joy confused. And I don't want to review. You can go back and listen to those. But we, we do. And, and let me say this. People perhaps can legislate happiness, but it's fleeting and for a moment until circumstances change or opinions change. But you cannot legislate joy. It comes from the supreme being, not the supreme court. Amen? And so we need to find out what joy is, what it means, walk in that. Amen? Embrace the principles here that we find in the word and walk that out in life. And so Philippians 4, 1, New Living Translation says this. Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stay true to the Lord. Let's just stop right there. Amen? Tree of Life Church, stay true to the Lord. Man and woman, stay true to the Lord. Family, stay true to the Lord. Stay true to the Lord. Remember, Paul's writing to the church that he planted 10 years ago, and they're dealing with struggles and challenges. His theme is on joy, so he's trying to address something into don't lose your joy because of what's going on in the world. Stay true to the Lord. That's where it comes from. Keep going. Don't quit. Let's run our race. Let's be truth, and let's be true to the Lord, and let's stay engaged and encouraged. And understand this, Tree of Life. God's doing some incredible things here at Tree of Life. 
because of your generosity. He's growing our church. We're doing some more things. We're expanding our outreach globally. And thank you for your generosity and all that. And Mission Sunday next week enables us to do that. He's doing some great things. July's going to be a fantastic month. You don't want to miss VBS, all the things, the new uh, things that are coming up on Sundays. You want to be here for it. And that's part of how we're walking together in the joy of the Lord. Uh, if, if, let me just say something here that if you're having a tough time with joy this morning, let me give you something that I believe will bring you great joy. That just so you know, since January of this year until last Sunday, through last Sunday, we've had over 600 people give their lives to Christ in our services. Amen? Come on. That's joy right there. Thank you, Lord. That's what it's about. And you have done so many things. We're doing things in families and family life centers doing things. And we're reaching out all over and, and connecting with so many organizations. Man, that's what brings joy. That's what makes this church joyful and attractive to lost and hurting people. Amen. It helps us have influence and make a difference in this world. And we're doing that together, all of us together. And I think the revelation of chapter four is to help us keep going individually and there corporately as a church. Keep going and have fun doing it. You realize that church is meant to be fun. The things of the Lord are meant to be fun. I mean, isn't that the, some of the biggest turnoff? We talked last week about that. But Christians are some of the meanest, most judgmental, critical people on the planet. And I'm not just speaking to speaking the truth, but speak the truth in love. Let's not stop right there. Speak the truth in love. Don't forget, you can't separate those. They, they go together. And so we should enjoy our life with the Lord, enjoy uh, what God has called us to, and I think that's what makes us attractive. And Paul's saying, hey, keep going. Don't let the pressures of the world get to you. Keep going. Don't give up. Enjoy all this, and let the cares of this world take a back seat to what God's doing. Our theme verse has been Philippians 4.4. Let's go there. Rejoice in the Lord, always. Rejoice in the Lord. Our joy comes from the Lord. So you find it in him, and I will say it again, rejoice. Find it in him, and then let it come out of you. Express it. It's the goodness of God, my Bible says, that brings people to repentance. Amen? So let the joy of the Lord be your strength. Find it in him, and then you express it, and it's what attracts people. And Paul's saying, keep going, stay on point with what you're doing and who you are to be. And Paul's telling the church, just don't let anyone steal your joy. So we are going to talk about another joy stealer today, but in week two, we talked about the joy stealer of self being self-absorbed and how that'll steal your joy, focusing on you, which is contrary to this world. We would want to do what makes us happy. Remember, happiness is not joy. It's fleeting. It changes with circumstance change. But self is a joy stealer. Focus on self. Last week, we talked about being earthly minded is a joy stealer as opposed to being eternally minded. That we're here for a reason and for a purpose. And so let's keep focus on our mission. Life is a vapor. Let's do it. And the signs of the times that we're seeing now, even with this being passed down from the Supreme Court, tells us the signs we're getting closer to the return of Jesus. Let's live life with a sense of urgency. All the more reason to rise up and be the church in love. Amen? And so let's understand that. So let's be eternally minded. And here in chapter four is a big one. This maybe is the biggest one. I would say this is the biggest one in Philippians, the biggest joy stealer, joy killer. Let's take a look in Philippians 4, 6. Here's what the word says. Do not be anxious. Say anxious. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation. Say every situation. In every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. Do not be anxious about anything. Anxiousness is probably the biggest thief of joy. It just may be. And I think Paul waited to the end to talk about it because it's probably our greatest struggle. Anxiety is a joy killer, joy stealer. It's something we face on a daily basis. Every day we're faced with anxiousness or decisions and it has the power to control or rule our lives. And anxiousness means being pulled in two different directions. 
I mean, really, that's the struggle. In fact, you're being pulled between hope and fear. To be anxious literally means to be in a tug of war between hope and fear. And we're bouncing around in the middle, not knowing where it's going to go, hoping it's going to go one way, fearing it's going to go another way. And that creates an anxiety or an anxiousness. And Paul says, that is a big joy stealer. It's things like this. I hope I get that promotion. I hope I get that raise. I hope I get that job because it means a lot to my family. But I'm afraid of what will happen if I don't. It's something like this. I hope I'll get better by taking this and going here and doing this treatment, but I'm afraid what will happen if I don't get better. It's things like, I don't know about you, I have two, well, I have one teenager right now on camp, summer camp, and I have one in Mexico helping with a mission team that's there right now. And so can we just for a moment, we just pray safety and protection around about our 60 kids and leaders that are coming back today in Jesus' name, divinely protected, traveling mercies, amen, coming home today from camp. Fired up. We pray the Holy Spirit seals every encounter they had with God on their heart and they're changed in Jesus' name, amen. But as you maybe have sent your team to camp, I sent one of mine to camp and, and I'm believing God, a God encounter. I'm hoping, Lord, I just, I'm believing for my 14, soon to be 15 year old to have a God encounter with you, Lord. And then maybe on the other hand, uh, we, we could be fearful of them coming back and going right back into the same things they were before. That's anxiousness. That's being pulled both ways. I'm hoping for this, but I'm, but I'm fearing this. And it's that, that battle, that struggle. Now understand, you could paint whatever scenario you want. You could have used any other kind of illustrations. You could have used this dialogue in so many areas of our lives and so many situations. And we find ourselves in the middle there. And Paul shows us that we can overcome that. But, but let's look at a few things that, that really feed anxiety and feed that anxiousness in us. And this is how it plays out in life. That anxiety, anxiety plays out in our worry. Worry. Man, worry is a big deal, right? I mean, some of us are world-class worriers. In fact, we might even think that's our spiritual gift, right? We operate it so much. But it's not. It's not of the Lord and it's not for you. And, but nonetheless, we struggle with worry and we spend so much of our lives worrying about things. Uh, the top four things that Americans worry about, number one is health, ours or someone else's. Number two, family, family situations, whether it be our marriage or our kids, as we described, uh, things in the home. Number three would be money, our money, economy, debt, retirement. And number four, interestingly enough, in most surveys I read is terrorism. I thought that was interesting how that made, but we live in a world that may, we don't even sometimes feel safe and secure on our own soil here. And a study showed that Americans spend almost 15 hours a week worrying. And you might say, that's all? I feel a whole lot better. <laughs> that's all? But nonetheless, worry comes in all shapes and sizes. And I thought this was interesting. I'll share this with you. And, and um, we talk about worry coming in all shapes and sizes. We're, we, we just encounter things that if we're not careful, we'll start worrying or fearing them. And, and so uh, there's a lot of phobias. I don't know if you know that, but there's over 500 phobias, fears that people have of things. And it's growing. It's growing in our culture. It's growing. Uh, the more things that come about, the more things that we fear. It seems like we're such a, a worry-minded uh, culture. And so I don't know if you know this, but there's over 500 phobias. And the normal ones for us, what we would understand a little bit might be the fear of flying, the fear of heights and and things like uh, public speaking is probably number one, uh, the fear of death, uh, things like that that we fear. The fear of spiders seems to be pretty high up there, and I would agree with that, <laughs> you know? And, uh, and this is a funny one to me, the fear of clowns is in the top 10 on everything I've, I've read. There's no clowns at VBS, I hope. Anyways, just, uh, it was funny to me. Uh, get it, it was funny to me, clown? Okay, anyways, bad joke. Uh, I uh, wrestle with the fear of bad joke telling. And uh, obviously, yeah, anyways, okay, so uh, we can also understand to some extent 
some of that to some extent, but here's some interesting ones, and this is kind of how, I don't know how these come about, and in no way I'm trying to belittle the, the fear that people feel about it, but um, I, I found these to be interesting, just a couple different ones for you. Chorophobia. Chorophobia is the fear of dancing, and I just, I thought that was funny. That, I mean, anytime I do a wedding, go to a wedding, I don't stay long at the reception because I know there's going to be dancing, and my wife's going to try and drag me out there on the dance floor. My own nephew got married two weeks ago, and there was, a, after the, at the reception, there was all kinds of dancing, and I slipped out quietly, and then sent her a very apologetic text. You know, I didn't want to do that. So um, here's one for you. And I don't know how to pronounce this. Syngenous phobia. Syngenous phobia. That's the fear of relatives. I thought, thought, don't claim anything this morning, but you might think that that answers a few questions. And and can I just say, I don't have this. I I, I love my relatives. I don't know if it's the same if I have a fear of my wife's relatives. I mean, I don't know. That's an they live all up in Bowie and off the land, and that scares me. I don't, we, we don't go there often. But anyway, so how about this one? Pentherophobia. Pentherophobia is a fear of your mother-in-law. <laughs> and if you're sitting next to her and say, I don't have that. I, I'm good. I don't have that one. Is mine here, by the way? I don't know. I got scared. That scared me. I'm just kidding. No, I'm kidding. And so here's what I thought. Here's what I thought. What if, what if you had to go to a family reunion with all your relatives and had to dance with your mother-in-law? I just thought... <laughs> That would be bad. Anyways, okay. So, a um, couple more for you. Uh, ergoso, ergosophobia, ergosophobia is the fear of work. I'm going to leave that one alone because I, I think, you know, that's probably a lot happening there. Anyway, so here you go, ladies. You can use this one. Do not claim it, however, but you can use this from time to time. Majerocophobia. Majerocophobia. That's the fear of cooking. Cooking. Come on, honey. What's for dinner, honey? I don't know. I'm not going in there. (laughs) And then here's one. Nomophobia. Nomophobia. And listen to this one. This is very interesting. This is the fear of being without your cell phone. And you know when I said that? Some of you are like, where is it? When in fact I said it, where is it at? It's in your purse? Where is it at? There's actually smartphone anxiety separation. There really is. And again, it's the world we live in. And one more. I'm going to give you one more. Here we go. And it's no-go churchophobia. No. I actually made that one up. I actually made that one up, but I am going to submit that one. Because I think there's a lot of people suffering from that. But nonetheless, I made it up, but I am going to submit it. But all the joking aside, these are real fears uh, for people. And, you know, there's just so much that worry can rule our life. And so we're here today and looking at chapter four, Paul's helping us find a way to overcome Worry And worry is what helps add to our anxiety. And let me just give you this. The root word for worry means to strangle. And really, the experience of worrying is like being strangled. And it can dictate how we experience life. And so, um, here's what we know about worry. It can't change your circumstance. But it can harm you. And studies show that. Okay, so let's move on. Our worry is something that affects our anxiety and our why. It's the why question. Again, we talked about in the first installment in week one. Why did this happen? How come? Why? Why not? All these things. And honestly, we said this, you can die in your why. There's questions that you'll never have answers to. Never. And we worry about the why and really the why creates anxiety in our life because we have to know this. We have to know this. And understand we have to find a place that we're just going to trust God with everything. And there's things we're just not going to have answers to until we get to heaven one day. Here's been my experience. When we get answers to why questions, it creates more questions sometimes, which leads to more frustration and really more anger towards God. 
And so I think that there's some things that we just need to, there's a why that we're not going to have an answer to. And if we keep trying to go there and get that out instead of just leaving it to the Lord or releasing it to the Lord, it will create greater anxiety in our life. And here's the third one, our who. It is our worry, our why, and our who. People can create anxiety in our lives. And so we all have a who in our life. And I hope that you're not sitting next to him, but we all have a who in our life. And if you don't have a who, you probably are the who. (laughs) I'm just saying. But people can create anxiety in our, uh, those things in our life. And in fact, I wrote this down just as a thought as I was doing my notes. It's that person that walks into the room that you just get, oh no, they're here, right? You get real nervous about it. Or how about this? And you've done this and all of a sudden your phone's ringing and you look at the caller ID and like, you're not about to answer that one. <laughs> no, no, decline, 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 decline. Or someone uh, sends you a text or an email, you're afraid to open it, or they went, hey, can we meet today? Or can we meet, why, what, what, is everything okay? Did I do anything wrong? What's wrong? Is everything all right? What's going on? And again, again, that's the, the world that we live in today, and that can feed our anxiety and keep us out of our joy. Uh, so what I want you to understand is reasons for anxiety are worry, the who's, and the why's, and, but they're not going anywhere. And maybe the who's will change from time to time, but understand they're not going anywhere. They will always be around. So the answer is not all those things going away. So let's not think that that's an answer. How can I get rid of all those things? You can't sum all the who's and you can't. And and Paul's saying, those things don't matter if we understand the principles of God's word. They're not gonna go away, but you can still have joy in the midst of those things. And so let's take a look at John 16, 33. Here's what it says. Real quick, I've told you these things so that in me you may have peace in him again. Peace, we have peace. Peace is the opposite of anxiety, that we can, in the midst of these things, have peace. In this world you'll have trouble, but listen to this, but take heart, I have overcome the world. Those things aren't going anywhere that cause anxiety or anxiousness, but I've overcome them. So in me, you find your peace. Again, the reason why he is the source of our joy and not our changing circumstances because they change constantly. And uh, uh, let's look at, take a look at Luke 12, 22 through 25 real quick. Jesus said to his disciples, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you'll eat, what you're bought for your body, what you will wear. For life is more than food, the body more than clothes. Consider the ravens, they don't sow or reap. They have not storeroom nor barn yet. God feeds them and how much more valuable are you than the birds? Who of you by worrying can add a single hour to your life? And the answer is no one, no one. Life is more than all these things. Life is more than Supreme Court rulings, amen? Life is more than all those things. And we have a choice, we have a choice. And the reason why we have a choice is because of what Jesus did on the cross. When he says, take heart, I have overcome the world, the cross is the symbol by which we can look and understand that our joy transcends natural things, amen? And so because of the work he did on the cross, because he overcame the world, the world does not determine our forgiveness, our purpose, our destiny, our peace, our joy, or our provision. Philippians 4, 10 through 12, let's keep going. Here's what the word says. I rejoiced greatly in the Lord, our joy is in the Lord, that at last you renewed your concern for me, Indeed, you were concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. I'm not saying this because I'm in need. Listen to this. For I have learned or chosen or made a decision to be content despite the circumstances, whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need. I know what it is to have plenty. I've learned or decided or chosen that the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether being well-fed, hungry, whether living in plenty or want, I've learned all that. I've made a choice. I've made a decision. We need to make joy decisions every day. 
every day. These things operate in our life every day. We need to make joy decisions every day. We need to make those. You choose. Joy is a choice. Uh, we can't control our worries, our whys, and many times our who's, but we can choose joy every day. It is possible. That's what Paul's saying. And if anybody was qualified to say that, it's Paul, based on look where he is, and he's in a Roman prison writing the book of joy, chained to a Roman soldier 24-7 in horrible circumstances. His life could end at any moment. In chapter four, Paul is saying, make a joy decision every day. Now, it's easy to say, hard to do, absolutely difficult for sure, but Paul's gonna tell us how to do that and understand that these things that he's telling us, he is living out. He is living proof that they're possible. And so let's take a look at three things that Paul says to do on a daily basis, that Paul does on a daily basis, to live a life of joy. So here's how we can live a lifetime of joy, according to Paul, chapter four, in the book of Philippians. Three things, and I think they're also a progression. So let's start with number one, pray about everything. This will help make a joy decision every day. Pray about everything. Pray about everything. Let's take a look again at Philippians 4, 6. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. Now, if you guys will leave that up for a moment. Pray about everything. And so, some of the times that we, prayer is hard sometimes, especially for guys. Guys want to fix things, and if I get stuck on something, then I want to pray. But Paul's saying, hey, listen, first thing you do is pray. Pray about everything, pray about what's going on. And to be honest with you, I think some of us just need to get up about five minutes earlier in the morning and spend some time in prayer. <laughs> I mean, I think we, we don't have time for, you don't, you don't have time not to pray if it's linked to your joy. Come on. We live in a world that we need to be praying in because we need our joy to be full, amen? And so we need to spend that time in prayer and get up in the morning. Hey, and let me say this, instead of getting up and the first thing you do is check Facebook, because after you read Facebook, then you're definitely going to prayer. I'm going to my knees after Facebook. It's like, are you kidding me? How about spending some time in prayer, then going to Facebook, and you just roll right over it and it doesn't bother you, right? Doesn't, you know, give it another thought throughout the day. We don't have time not to pray when our joy is associated with our ability to make a choice every day for joy with prayer. So pray every day. Pray in everything. Paul says, worry about nothing, but pray about everything. A joyful life every day starts with prayer. A joyful life every day starts with prayer. And that sounds good, but many of us don't naturally just have that as a first response, and we need to make a, a bit of an adjustment there. He tells us to pray about everything. I remember this funny story. My, my dad, I go to my dad, and I have questions, and hey, dad, what about this? And hey, dad, I'm thinking about this. And my dad would always say, have you prayed about it? I'm like, no. And so, could you just save me some time? Maybe give me a little bit of advice here. Hey, dad, what about this? Have you prayed about it? And I finally just, I'm just done with that. I'm like, dad. And he goes, have you prayed about it? I said, I don't want to hear that anymore. If I hear that again, then I'm going to go to somebody else. And he says, have you prayed about that? <laughs> so I go to mom. Hey, mom, what about this? And she looks at me and says, go ask your dad. <laughs> so the reality is that we need to have a discipline in our life that we become people of prayer. And we're not talking about long, drawn out, real all these kind of prayers. It, basically, prayer is just talking to God, that we're getting up and we're going to the Lord and addressing something with God. In this case, the best thing you can do when you're anxious about anything is to say, hey, God, here's what's going on. Here's what's going on. I'd start my morning that way, but throughout the day, you have opportunities and, and needs to stop and just say, okay, you know what, God, here's what's going on. Tell them. Uh, that's the prayer part. Here's what's going on. So tell them what's going on. And then it says petition, prayer and petition. Now, petition basically means to present a request, to present a request. In other words, we go to God and say, here's what's going on. And then we go to him with a request and we say, here's what I'm asking for you to do. 
Here's what's going on, and here's what I'm asking you to do and what I'm anxious about. Now, in asking him what to do, there is a few criteria for that, and I'll give that to you in a moment. So don't think that you can go to God and say, God, here's the problem. I am in a really tough financial situation. So I'm asking you to give me the lottery numbers. <laughs> God doesn't, doesn't work that way, but if he does, don't forget to tithe to the local church, and there you go, all right? Just, okay. But God doesn't work that way, so let's take a look at 1 John 5.14. So we go, here's what's going on, God. And then we talk to him about what we want him to do. And here's what it says. This is the confidence we have in approaching God that if we ask anything, in accor- anything according to his will, he hears us. His will is his word. God's will is his word. So how do we know God's will for the marriage thing? Because his word says it's man and woman. Okay? His will is his word. So when you go to God, here's what I'm dealing with, God. Here's what's making me anxious, anything. Here's what's making me anxious. Then you go with your petition and you say, here's what I'm asking you to do about it. And I see it in your word that you do these things. I see it in your word. So I'm going to ask him to do what he said he will do. So we go to him in prayer. We bring, here's what I'm dealing with. And here's what's making me anxious. And here's what I'm asking you to do that I saw that you do in your word. So it's important for us to do that. And so here's what we're asking, and then here's what we're believing for. And then followed up, it says with this, uh, I'm sorry, let's go back to the Philippians passage. Followed up, it says with this, with thanksgiving present. And so you tell him what's going on, then tell him what you'd, what you'd like to be done in line with his word, and then by faith you thank him in advance. We don't typically, we save thanksgiving a lot of time for after the fact, but this says, tell him what's going on, Ask him what you'd like him to do in line with his word, and then thank him in advance by faith for him doing what he said he will do. Thank you that you're going to do that in accordance with your word of God. Here's what's going on. Here's what I'd like you to do, and I thank you in advance for working on my behalf. So Paul says, here's one of the ways that we deal with the anxieties or the anxiousness in our life. We go to God with it, tell him what's going on. Then we ask him to deal with it and in line or in accordance with his word. And then we thank him in advance for working on our behalf. So here's the great thing about that too. We can do that, but also there's a promise associated with that in Philippians 4, 7. So Paul says, that's what we do and then understand there's a promise. And here is God's promise. And the peace of God, the peace which is opposite anxiety, the peace of God which transcends all understanding, all circumstances that's happening around, the peace of God not dependent upon you knowing anything or what's going on around about you, you trying to figure it out or have an understanding of it all, the peace of God transcends all that and will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Let me say this. Sometimes what we need more than the results of our prayer is the peace in knowing that God's working. And the peace in knowing God's working will help guard our heart and our minds. And that helps us deal with the anxiety. What does that do? What does that, what does that then lead to? Peace. Peace, which is the opposite of anxiety. See, it changes everything. It helps you keep your joy. Okay, joy for life, number one, pray about everything. Number two, think about the right things. Think about the right things. Now, this is a tough one, honestly, because the battle a lot of times is in our mind, and, and there's so many things bombarding our mind. There's so many things trying to... I don't know, so many voices screaming loudly and so many temptations and things pulling on us. It's a tough one because there's so much negativity around about us. So many things that are contrary to what we believe. Let's take a look at Philippians 4, 8 through 9. It says this, finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about these things or such things. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen me put into practice, 
And the God of peace will be with you. The God of peace, the opposite of anxiety or anxiousness, will be with you. There's so much negativity in the world. I mean, TVs, movies, newspapers, uh, social media, radio, books, people. We're taking all this junk in constantly. And here, I've heard people say this, and, and maybe you've heard people say this, maybe you've said this, and people say, I can handle it. It doesn't affect me. And so can I say this as your loving pastor? Nothing can be further from the truth. Nothing. I mean, we're deceiving ourselves if we think that taking all that negativity and junk inside of us is not going to affect us. And one of the reasons why I know is because we're wired for things we take into to affect us. But God intended the things we're taking in to be his word, his truth, fellowship with other believers, listening to things that feed our spirit, man, music, conversation, So he created us in a way that we're supposed to what? Feed on the word. Faith come by hearing and hearing the word. And why is he set it up that way? Because what we hear and see affects who we are. That's why we got to guard our eye gates and our ear gates. And so here's the fallacy or here's the deception rather is this. We think I have a good filter. I have a good filter. I can distinguish between good and bad. And can I say your filter's not good enough? however strong that you think you are. And let's just talk about that for just a minute. And I don't mean to say that ugly or whatever, but that's just reality. Let's not live in deception. We kid ourselves into thinking our filters are good, are are, are capable rather of handling the bad and uh, um, filtering out the bad and letting in only the good. And that's just not true. Otherwise, there wouldn't be a scripture telling us what to think on or a scripture telling us to renew our mind daily with the word. You realize, and you may not be an average person, but on the average, the average person watches 34 hours of TV a week three to six hours of tape programs, Netflix and DVR stuff and all that kind of stuff, whatever that is. You realize that people work typically a 40-hour work week and you're around peers and not necessarily in the best godly environments and then conversations are such and then you're out and you're out at the ball games, the ball fields. Uh, There's music playing in your car. There's music around you wherever you go. There's things that we're reading. There's conversations that are not healthy. Now consider this. Church. If you come only on Sunday mornings, you get 90 minutes. If you come on Wednesday nights, you get another 60 minutes. And listen, you need to come both. We need as much as we can get. And that's not even to say, listen, and most people are not in small groups. You need to be in a small group because of your intake, because your filter's not good enough. And you need to be in devotions. And maybe you have a debate. Okay, let's say you have a a small group that meets once a week. That's what, another hour, two hours? Now we're up to five hours maybe? And then maybe you have a daily devotional, which for most of us is probably five to 10 minutes that pops up on on a version or or whatever that is. And, And maybe, just maybe, maybe you're doing some Bible reading beyond that, but think about it in the economy of time to your week. Think about that for a moment. Now, let's put it in these kind of terms. Let's talk about teenagers because we don't like talking about ourselves. And they're, 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 they need to understand the power of this revelation as well. And parents, you need to as well. I know we're in the summer, but when school's going on, man, that's a mission field right there. Our kids are in school with their peers, all kinds of different influences, sports events, activities, extracurricular activities. Our kids are listening to, yes, kids are to listen to, I don't know what they're all listening to, some of the things like Drake, Drake or Taylor Swift or Rihanna or One Direction, or Hunter Hayes, or Luke Bryan. I mean, think about while they're taking, they're, they're, they're watching Pretty Little Liars on TV, or Netflix, or Glee, or The Walking Dead, or whatever, on, all the time. They're watching, looking at all this stuff. They're playing, a lot of them are playing video games. 97% play video games. Who knows how long and what the content of that is. And if they're not on that, they're on Facebook, Pinterest, Instagram, Snapchat, Vines, YouTube, on and on and on it goes. Think about that for a minute. Now let's talk about time with God. 
Sunday morning church, 90 minutes. Wednesday night, remnant youth service. You have teenagers, you need to get them here on Wednesday night so they can have intake back there in the back with Pastor Josh and his crew. 60 minutes maybe. Small groups. Devotional time. How about a family devotional time? So we get, listen to this, we get rivers of negativity and drops of God. Where's our joy? Don't think that our filters are strong enough when that's what we're investing, but we're bombarded with floods of worldliness and things like that. And so we're deceiving ourselves. And so what we think about is determined by what we're taking in, really, in in the majority. So do the math on all that. And I don't know what I'd put time amounts to all that, but do the math on all that. So Paul says, all this is not going away, but it's our choice. We're going to think about the right things, and when we do, we get another promise. And here's the other promise. Verse 9. Think about the right things, and when we do, we get another promise. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me, and this is after he's talking about think about this, think about that, think about this, whatever you re- learned or received from or heard from me or seen in me, put into practice. Do it. He's saying, I'm doing this, I'm thinking about these things, I've decided to think on these things and not the other things. You need to do it. And when you do it or put it into practice, the God of peace will be with you, which peace is the opposite of anxiety. So think on the right things. So listen to this. Godly thinking leads to godly behavior, which leads to godly peace. Okay, so pray about everything. Think about the right things. And the last one, here's our last one. Number three, trust God in all things. Trust God in all things. Trust God in everything. Understand God is fighting for you and you have a choice. God is fighting for you on your behalf and you have a choice because he's fighting for you. You can choose. Let's look at verse 12 through 13. Here's what it says. I know what it is to be in need. I know what it is to have plenty. I've learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed, hungry, whether living in plenty or want. I can do all things through him who gives me strength. Amen. We shout that. We put our refrigerator. We have it everywhere. We can see it. Do you realize he's using it in the context of a joy, a chapter on joy, a a book on joy? He's talking about this. He's talking about you can make the right choices. You can trust God with everything. Choose these things because God is for you. He's not against you. And it doesn't matter. And there's another translation. It doesn't matter. What does it matter then if God is for me? What? does it matter who's against me? If God is for me, what does it matter what Supreme Court justices decide? If God is for me, what does it matter what legislation says? If God is for me, no one can stand against the God that's with me. You choose, so trust him with everything. You can trust him. He has proven himself trustworthy. And here's what, here's what anxiety does. Anxiety simply marks the spot where we're not trusting God. Anxiety reveals where our trust issues are with God. And so when we find that out because of anxiety or anxiousness, we look at the process which Paul has established here in chapter four to combat that. And remember, joy is a weapon. Anxiety reveals where our trust issues are. See, we think, say things like this. My life is always gonna be average, but God says you're fearfully and wonderfully made. You are God's workmanship, masterpiece created for great things. And we say, I'm always gonna struggle with this addiction, this habit, this blank. I'm never gonna get over it. I never can beat it. And God says, you're an overcomer. You're more than a conqueror. You're the head and not the tail. And we say, I'll never get ahead. We say, I'll never get ahead. And God says, all your needs are met according to my riches and glory. I am your source and provider. I can't win. God says, no weapon formed against you will prosper. God is saying, he's a trustworthy God. 
There is no greater symbol of God's trustworthiness than just looking at the cross. He's overcome it all. He's defeated it all on your behalf. You can trust him. You look at the cross and you know that you can trust God. You should see that you can trust God. Romans 8.31 says this. What then shall we say in response to these things, these circumstances, these rulings, these, these worries, these whys, these whos? What do we say in response to all these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? In the middle of everything, we need to make our joy decision. In the middle of everything, we can and need to make our joy decision. So we're going to pray about everything. Take it to him. And then ask him to do something in line with his word. And then thank him in advance for it. We're going to think about the right things so we can get our mind stayed on him. And then we're going to trust God with everything. And Paul says, and in doing that, that you can walk in joy every day. Let's end this series. This book ends on a couple scriptures that we're going to end today. We're going to end the whole entire series. I love it. And especially in light of today, what we talked before, remarks we made before the service. Philippians 4, 21 through 23. I want you to listen to this. Greet all God's people in Christ Jesus. The brothers and sisters who are with me send greetings. He says brothers and sisters, those are those that are now followers. Those are followers send greetings. All God's people here. Now listen to what he says. All God's people here. Here where? Here where, he, where he's in a Roman prison. All God's people here in this Roman stinking prison with me send you greetings. Especially, listen, especially to those who belong to the household of Caesar. A very secular, a very corrupt, a very immoral community or, or whatever, power or city or group of people or government. Listen, he's saying those in the house, those from Caesar's household sends greetings to. You know, why, you know why he's saying that? It's because there's people here in this immoral, terrible, horrible, corrupt place that have now come to know Jesus because I've lived my life as an example of joy. You know what that tells me? How powerful is our joy witness in our world today? How powerful is you and I rising up and walking in the joy of the Lord that's our strength? How powerful is our church? How powerful is the body of Christ? It says here that it impacted the household of Caesar. And I don't mean any disrespect to any people that made any decisions, but how powerful would a joy witness from the church of America be if we all would rise up in the joy of the Lord to impact the household of our governments, the household of our leadership, the household of our culture, our society. It changed that. It changed it. Those from the household of Caesar, those who we thought that were evil and couldn't be any more evil and going to hell. But joy, a joy witness rather, changed them. Man, we have such a great powerful tool. We're praying for our leadership and you should and we need to pray for our leaders all the time. We're praying for change. We're doing this. How about we live a life of joy as God intended and let our witness also impact them? And if we're not going to do it, who is? Because it only comes from Christ. Because of Paul's joy decision, the world around him came to Jesus Christ. Power of joy. Let's all stand to our feet as we close. Joy is a powerful thing. And it's a decision you make every day. The joy of the Lord is our strength. And so we need it to live out the life in the world that we are. And understand, God put you on the planet at this moment in time, in this scenario, these situations, on purpose. All this is happening. God knew all this would happen with you in mind right here at this moment in time. How amazing is that? 
And God has gifted you and equipped you to rise above the natural and to operate in the supernatural, a supernatural joy that this world cannot give and this world cannot take away, that is only dependent upon your choice and who you are and what you trust in Jesus Christ. We hope that you enjoyed this message. You can find more messages and information about Tree of Life Church at treeoflifechurch.org. We'd like to invite you to come visit us at 5513 IH35 South in New Braunfels, Texas, or you can watch us on live stream. Thank you again for listening.